Well, uh, <clears throat> happy Father's Day to you. Thankful for you, just as Doug mentioned there, and um, it's kind of a big deal. It's kind of a big deal. We, you know, uh, what is it about Mother's Day? It, it, they deserve to get more recognition. Dads, you know, we just kind of like we're leaving on camp, taking you away from your kids, and kind of get disregarded. But uh, it's not the truth at all. Uh, John Lynch just now like sent me a message on Marco Polo, and it's just it was a, a perfect message. He's like. We have no idea what we're doing as dads. We have no idea what we're doing, but the fact that you're willing to get out there and uh, be a part of your kid's life, invest in them to the point where they adore you is a big deal. And so because you're doing that, may you be encouraged today. Uh, dads, you're, you're a big deal in your kid's life. And... Um, I'm thankful for my dad. My dad lives in Paris, Texas, and uh, I don't get to see him that much, but uh, I got to see him last month, and uh, I just love my dad. So happy Father's Day to you. Uh, it's a huge day, obviously, trying to organize and get every. You have no idea what all goes into camp. I get it, uh, but we're taking 62 people on these five vans. We appreciate your prayers and all that. But I, I'm thankful for the opportunity just to be able to teach you today that we'll continue on through our story through the, the book of Acts. We're in Acts chapter 3. Let me remind you of where we left off. Chapter 2 was a big chapter last week. The Holy Spirit. <laughs> the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that was with God and Jesus all the way back to eternity past. Eternity past. Let that just settle in your head for a second. Eternity. He's been around forever. Came and He moved inside of the people where He filled them. He, he came and chose to live inside of their mortal bodies. <laughs> and they knew it. They knew it. They were so jazzed about it. And today you say that to most people and they go, uh-huh. It's pretty cool. <laughs> it's like that God from the very beginning, that Son from the very beginning, that Spirit from the very beginning said, hey, I'm going to create you because I want intimacy with you, and here's how it's going to happen. Sorry about all you guys before the cross. You didn't get to have the Spirit in you. You had to follow all these rules and everything else and prove that it couldn't be done. But all you after the cross? Like, I'm getting on that van, and uh, there's the Holy Spirit that's like going with us to camp inside of each one of these people, not just me. That's going to be a fun week. <laughs> So that was Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit rushed in, made this huge noise, wind and everything, and they were amazed. It says they added to their numbers 3,000. Now, I get the time frame of this. This is just after Pentecost. Last week was actually the Pentecost day. But Pentecost happened 50 days after the Passover. 50 days after the Passover. So Jesus was the Passover sacrifice. The Jews didn't believe that. They continued to do their typical 
lamb sacrifices, but Jesus was the actual Paschal sacrifice. He died. He was buried for three days. He was in the grave, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. He rose from the grave, and he came out and hung out with the people, and they saw him, and he continued to do miracles. He continued to heal people. He continued to be Jesus with the Father working through him. And then, after 40 days, he ascended. Ten days later, Pentecost came and the Spirit comes in. It's, it's literally two months after Jesus has died on the cross where we pick up the story in Acts chapter 3. And that's where we are. Acts chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple for the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Some of your translations will say nine hours into the day. That translate starts at six o'clock, the Jewish hour, sunrise. So six to noon is six hours, then you add three more, you got 3 p.m. It's near the end of the day for them. And then it's talking about Peter and John. Here's the interesting thing. Peter did all the speaking and the acting with John merely standing in the background from what we read in the Scriptures. John's presence is, is sometimes explained in the Scripture based upon the Jewish law that two witnesses are necessary to confirm any testimony. That goes all the way talked about in 2 Corinthians chapter 13. And that might have even been traced to remember when in the Gospels it said Jesus is going to send them out. There were 70 disciples and they went to the homes to find out who was going to believe. He sent them out two by two, sent them out in pairs. Peter and John were buddies. It, you know, John talks about Peter and him running to the tomb and saying the one that was beloved got there first. Remember that whole thing, that little comedy thing there that I beat Peter to the grave? All that has now kind of disappeared because they have the same spirit in each other. Well, watch this. I may be the teacher, I may be the pastor, I may be the director, but I have the exact same spirit that you have in you. I am not any more special than you. That's a big deal. So it was kind of like, uh, Kyle was kind of like John was his intern. <laughs> Just kind of was there with him. The two of them together were always like seen together. They were found together quite a bit in the Scripture. They were partners in the fishing business when they started out. That's in Luke chapter 5. Who prepared the Passover meal for the disciples the night Jesus did the Lord's Supper? It was John and Peter that did that. They obviously ran to the tomb together. That's in uh, John 20. And they ministered to the Samaritans who believed in Jesus. That's coming up in Acts chapter 8. Now they're filled with the Spirit, and they're equal. Let's talk about, it says they were going up to the temple for the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. If those of you that have been with me to Israel and those that are going with me next year, uh, the Temple Mount is one of the coolest places to visit in Jerusalem. It's literally a mount. There once was a mountain there, 
but Herod came in and filled up all around the mountain. You realize that 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 Temple Mount is the same place where Abraham took Isaac in the Old Testament to sacrifice him. Pretty crazy, but this is a central focus in all of the 66 books. And so now they're at the Temple Mount. There's several different entrances. The place is rather large. There's multiple, multiple entrances. And it says, uh, here's what it says. They're going up to the temple. No matter where you are in Jerusalem, even if the altitude is or the elevation is higher than the Temple Mount, you always referred to it as going up to the temple. If you were north, you even went up to the temple. If you were south, you went up to the temple. That's the way it was referred to. You'll always see it in the scripture. They went up to the temple. So it's the ninth hour. It was also the, e- the, the time of the evening of the what was the Tamid. The Tamid, it was the time when everybody came together and they did their last sacrifice of the day, their last worship time of the day, the last prayer time of the day. It was a busy, busy place on that temple. They had three, three times during the day when they would go up to the temple and pray. I'm telling, all, I'm telling you all this because there's a reason for it. The largest crowds right there have been found at that point of sacrifice. And then verse 2, it says this. A man who was lame from birth was being carried there. He was placed each day at the temple gate called Beautiful. They have no idea which temple gate is referred to as Beautiful. Obviously, Luke, who's written the book of Acts, refers to it as beautiful. The only one that they can think of is on the east side of the temple, and I'll show you that here in just a minute. On the east side of the temple, there was one gate that was adorned with gold and jewels. It was a beautiful gate. It wasn't labeled a beautiful gate, but obviously now Luke has described it as a beautiful gate. It says he was placed each day at the temple gate called Beautiful so that he could beg from those entering the temple. You see, the rabbis, the Jewish rabbis, taught that there were three main pillars of the Jewish faith. One was the Torah, that being the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The Torah was one. Worship was the second one. And then the third one was the giving of alms, showing kindness and charity. So when they actually came to the temple, not only did they read the Torah, not only did they worship God, but they were expected to be kind. (laughs) So to do that, so to do that, they would literally take a beggar, a lame person, and I it seems like it was the same person every time, and they would place him at the entrance to make it easy for them to give charity to this man. He had to have been a wealthy man. Because you think about all the people that came to the temple at this specific time, if this is one of the pillars, we have to be kind to them. Well, here's an opportunity. So they consistently made an opportunity using this lame man. We know if you go on to Acts chapter 4, which we will next week, 
This man laid there, watch this, 40 years. You, you drive around here. You know that some of the homeless people have the same corners every day. Every day. This dude was there for 40 years. They probably knew his face. They probably knew his name. They probably knew everything about this one man. They knew he was lame. They knew he needed help. It says this in verse 3, when he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, he asked for money. (laughs) There's so many people entering the temple right now, and this guy's like, "Uh, can you give? Can you give? Can you give? Can you give? It's like the old, member of the old LPs put that on and you got a scratch in it and just keeps playing over. It was like over and over and over all day long. He said the same thing over and over and over. He asked for money. Verse 4 it says, Peter along with John looked straight at him and said, look at us. There, there's a group of people going through this, this temple gate And for some reason, this lame man says, can you give us money? Peter says, look look at us. No, like, look me in the eye. I want you to give me your total attention. And when he did that, this beggar expected something in return. Literally, if you say, hey, look me in the eye, you're expecting either a word or to give something. Verse 5, it says, So he turned to them, expecting to get something from them. But Peter said, I don't have any silver of gold. Why doesn't Peter have any silver of gold? Because at the end of chapter 2, what did they do with all their resources? They gave it to the whole community. Remember? Everything that they had, whoever needed it, they gave it out to people. Jesus is coming back. I don't need anything. I don't need gold. I don't need silver. I don't... He's like, look, I don't have anything. How many times have you said that? He says, but what I do have, I give you. He looks him in the eye. In the name of Jesus, Christ of Nazareth. He's saying this in front of all the Jews. Nazareth was a nasty place for the Jews. He says, in the name of Jesus, Christ of Nazareth, get up. And walk. 40 years he's been laying there. 40 years he's been brought by the Jews and set there at that temple gate, the same temple gate. Then taking him by the right hand, it's almost like he needed encouragement. He raised him up. Peter took this lame beggar by the hand and raised him up. And at once, his feet and ankles became strong. So he jumped up and started to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. Now, come on. (laughs) They know this man's face. They know this man's name. They know what's all about the story of this man, that he's laid there for 40 years, and they're turning around going, is that him? Is that the guy that's laid there for 40? It is. Wait. How is that even possible? Who did this? 
Peter and John just standing there. Just standing there. I, I'm sure there was a smile. Not because of what they did. You'll see that here in just a second. But just the fact that the man was walking. You, you think that morning... Do you, do you think that that morning God woke Peter up and said, hey, here's what you're going to do today. You're going to go to the temple and there's going to be a dude right there. He knows that guy's there every day. Maybe he did wake up that morning and he's like, God, if you're telling me to go to that man, I have faith that you're going to do this. That, that, watch, that is what walking by the Spirit literally looks like. If you've got the Spirit in you, that's what it looks like right there. God may say to you, hey, today, here's what's going to happen. Or they could have just come upon the man, God's like, hey, heal this man right now. You have the same Spirit in you. That's crazy. Here's what he does with this healing touch. With this healing touch, it's very common to all the miracles that we've read about. Peter just grasped his right hand and he was healed. Now watch this. At the same time that he received this physical healing, he also got a spiritual healing. It was because of his faith that healed him. It was because of his faith. Now, here's another thing you need to know. In this temple, let me go ahead. Let's go ahead and I know I got a couple of verses, but go ahead and put that temple map up there. I'm gonna I'm gonna use this this diagram over here because that way everybody down there can see me this is what the uh, uh, a template of the the temple looked like it wasn't solomon's temple it was much smaller than this when herod came he built this huge remember he started building it before in bc and he didn't finish it till probably around 50 60 a.d after jesus had died so the whole time jesus is doing his ministry this temple's being constructed by herod but you'll see at the very top there's the big empty space. That is the court of the Gentiles. That's a big deal. There's also one on the, this side of the picture as well, the court of the Gentiles. That's a big deal because God was saying, hey, not only can Jews come to this place, but non-Jews can come to this place. But that's as far as they could get in the temple. They couldn't go any further. But this temple gate that we're talking about is on the left-hand side. I... I will point out over here because it's just easy. Uh, but we're talking about he was at this gate probably right here at the very front of that temple. And if you look, let's go to the next picture. These are actual models of the temple. You can see the Gentile court on both sides. You can see the Holy of Holies. That's the big tall structure in the middle. The only people that go in the Holy of Holies is the high priest, the priest. All right, go to the next picture. Now you can see a little bit more of what the temple was like. You can see that there's a platform on the left side of this picture right here. That was the women's temple area. They could actually go up there. And then inside, 
that temple where you see a lot of people standing, that's where the Jews could go. This man who laid there for 40 years could never go in that area because lame people couldn't go in there according to the Scripture. He got healed, and guess where he went? He went and he's literally laid there for 40 years. I can't go in, I can't go in, I can't go in. And he went in and just started praising the Lord. He actually got to go into that temple area and worship the Lord. And don't you know that he did? With everything that he had. It says in verse 9, All the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized that he was the one who used to sit and beg at the beautiful gate of the temple. So they were filled with awe. There's that word awe. If the church only understood the awe of God, I'm praying that's what happens this week in Wisconsin. And astonishment at what had happened to him. Luke, he's narrating this whole thing and he's telling all the local people they know exactly what's going on here and now they're seeing this. So then now Peter, Peter sees an opportunity. Everybody's got their focus on Peter and John and this lame man. They know that. So what does Peter do? Same thing he did in the previous chapter, chapter 2. He starts preaching. He delivers another message that's very similar to the one that he just delivered in chapter 2. He says, while he was holding on to Peter and John, talking about the lame man, all the people, utterly astonished, ran toward them in what is called the Solomon's Colonnade. That was right there in front of the gate. It's the east side of the Temple Mount. It was kind of a shaded area along the eastern wall of the Temple Mount. It says in verse 12, when Peter saw this, he addressed the people. If everybody's going to come hang out by me, I'm letting them have it. It's like fellow Israelites, fellow Jews. Why are you amazed at this? Why do you stare at us as though we made him walk by our own power or godliness? He's like, we didn't do this. What did Jesus say when he said all these miracles that you've seen, I didn't do them? My father did them. Now the disciples are sitting here saying, we didn't do this. Jesus is the one who did it. Jesus and us through the father. You didn't see us heal this man. Watch what he says right here. He says, the God of Abraham. Oh, now he's striking to the heart of the Jews because they know Abraham is like the man. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our ancestors has glorified His servant Jesus whom you handed over and denied before Pilate. This was 50 days ago. This all went down 50 days ago. He's like, remember what you did just two months ago. You did this. He says, You handed over and denied before Pilate, though he had decided to release him. You denied the holy and righteous one and asked to have a murder released to you. That would be Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. Crucified Jesus. Watch. Verse 15. You killed the source of life. Peter's like digging in right here. You, You killed the source of life whom God raised from the dead. You killed him, but God raised him from the dead. 
He's letting it fly right now. We're witnesses of this. We watch this. Me and John, we watch this. Verse 16, it says, By faith in His name, in His name, Jesus, His name has made this man strong. Whom you see now. Whom you see jumping around, dancing around. Jesus did that. So the faith that comes through Jesus has given him this perfect health in front of you. Now, in that sermon last chapter, the Holy Spirit came and what did the people say was wrong with them? They were drunk. Now he's like being accused of healing this lame person. He's like, nope, you got it wrong again. I didn't do it. The Father did it in me. He was always refuting what the Jews wanted to put on them. Peter immediately identified the source of this miracle as Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And, of course, wisely, he brought in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because he knew that that would get to their heartstrings. And just the same thing at Pentecost, Peter was addressing the people who knew the Scriptures. These are the ones... They came and read the Torah many times a day. They knew this by heart. They knew exactly what he was referring to when he referred to Abraham and Isaac. He wasn't speaking to a bunch of ignorant pagans just sitting out there. These were well-schooled Jewish people. They knew what he was talking about. Now think about this. This I was thinking about this this week. Here's a lame man, born lame. Forty years later, he's able to stand up. What about the fact that Micah and Shannon just had a baby this week, Anna Grace? It's a great name. Anna Grace, and she was born unable to walk. I typically say on Facebook, welcome to this fallen world. This world has fallen. Like, literally everybody here is born fallen. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone is born with a sinful nature because we are born from the seed of Adam who brought sin into the world. You're born, I get it, you're born spiritually dead. You're born with a sinful nature. What about the fact that you can't even like walk when you're born? <coughs> Maybe representing that you're born fallen. And then at some point, you're able to stand up. You're able... You know what it's like. Wes and Rachel with Lily just now are getting to watch her take her first steps and everybody's excited. They're recording everything. It was the same thing for this lame man. But what about in our spiritual life? What about the opportunity when we get to stand up? That means that he removes the sinful nature from us I believe I only have one nature in me. 
He removes that sinful nature from me and He puts a new nature in me. He takes my old heart out, puts a new heart in. It's not, watch this, it's not natural for me to sin anymore. It's natural for me to love God and to obey God. That's my new heart. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Old things have passed away. New things have come. I'm a new creation in Christ. My want to is different. Now wait, I still sin. I still mess up. I still make selfish choices. I still sometimes act out of my flesh. But I only have one nature. I only have one nature. And that's the new nature that God put me. There's no... There's no war going on right here. If anything, there's a battle going on up here in my head because of the power of sin working on me. But I also have the mind of Christ. But there's no war going on here. I'm redeemed. I'm holy. I'm sanctified. I'm justified. I'm glorified. I'm forgiven. I'm a child of God. He made me all that when Jesus died on the cross. And if you can figure that thing out right here in this room or wherever, if you can figure that thing out and you can walk in your daily life, you walk with your head a little bit higher. You walk and you own it. That doesn't mean that you're not humble. But there's something about knowing that there's a holy living God living inside of me and He's literally living my life for me. It's stressful here in the next 30 minutes. I'm telling you. Getting kids loaded up. Saying goodbye to parents. Waiting for the first one to go, I got to use the bathroom when you're on the road. It's stressful. But the deal is, there's a spirit inside of me that allows me to continue to do this for 30 years. I probably did it the first half of that 30 years in my own strength. Now I can just enjoy hanging out with the kids. I can enjoy. I, I trust not only the Lord in me, but the Lord in my leaders and the Lord in my students. Let me wrap this up. He says in verse 17, Now, brothers and sisters, I know that you acted in ignorance. Hmm. Just as your leaders also did. He's given them an out. In this way, God fulfilled what He had predicted through all the prophets, that His Messiah would suffer. They literally know the books. They know Isaiah. They know about the suffering servant in chapter 53. They know there was a Messiah coming. Jesus fulfilled every one of those prophecies in Isaiah 53 that could be fulfilled at this time. He did it. They know it. Peter and John are saying, he's the one and you missed it. He's like, therefore, repent and turn back. There's always the repent. Repent and turn back so that your sign, so that your sins may be wiped out, that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that He may send Jesus, who has been appointed for you as the Messiah. Peter didn't like leave the people without hope. In fact, he almost seemed to defend them at this point. I know that you're, you did this out of ignorance. I know that what the leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees are all saying that He's not the Messiah and you want to follow that leadership, I realize that you made these choices out of ignorance. 
You know, in the Old Testament law, there's a difference between deliberate sins and sins of ignorance. You can look in Leviticus chapter 4 and 5, and also in Numbers chapter 15. Peter's really saying to him, these were sins done out of ignorance. The person who sinned presumptuously was a rebel against God and was guilty of great sin, but the one that sinned out of ignorance basically meant there was an opportunity for them to repent. Repent means to change your mind. That's what it means. To change, I can change my mind. I can think differently about it. I once believed that he was not the Messiah. Now I can believe that he's the Messiah. Peter is saying to the Jews. You know, the call to repentance is always in the gospel message. That's what the gospel message. You believe you were born thinking this way. Now change your mind and think this way. Repentance is always a part of that salvation. You'll see it all through the book of Acts. Verse 21, it says, Heaven must receive him until the time of restoration of all things. All things will be restored. It doesn't say all people. It says all things. All things will be restored, which God spoke about through his holy prophets from the beginning. Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers and sisters. You must listen to everything he tells you. And everyone who does not listen to that prophet will be completely cut off from the people. In addition, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those after him, they know the prophets. They know what the prophet said. Have also foretold these days. You are the sons of the prophets and the covenant that God made with your ancestors, saying to Abraham, and the families of the earth will be blessed through your offspring. God raised up his servant and sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your evil ways. He's literally saying, look, here's what I've done. I've already proven that you've blown it. I've already shown you the evidence for that. Now I've proven what Jesus has done and it all falls in line with the scriptures of the prophets. There's no excuse for you. What more can be done to show you that Jesus is the chosen Messiah that God had intended to send? Sure, it didn't look like the one you were expecting, but it fulfilled every prophecy. He announced the crime. He presented the evidence and he explained the nature of their sin. And now Peter is offering a pardon for them. He's even offering a pardon for the judge. That would be the Pharisees. It's not too late. It's going to be too late. If this is 30 A.D., you know, according to your history books, what happens in 70 A.D. The Romans come in, destroy the temple, 1.1 million Jews die. If you don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah, it's going to be over for you. 
That's history. That's not just the Bible. That's history. What Peter was concerned to do was to convince his Jewish hearers that God's covenant with Abraham was fully realized through Jesus. Everything that you've learned, everything that you've taught your children, it was all fulfilled through Jesus. And now you're missing it. Only in receiving Christ. He's saying, only in receiving Christ, the Christ of God, by repentance and turning to Him, you receive forgiveness, refreshment, and actual restoration. He will transform your life. It may have taken some point in time for the apostles to fully realize the implications of this, I would say, missions calling. Not only is it for the Jews, he's saying, God came to you first. It's for the Jews, but guess what? It's getting ready to go to all the Gentiles too. That's what Acts is all about. The first part is all about the Jews. Jesus came to you first. You have your opportunity but now it's getting ready to go to the Gentiles. Peter, you'll find out, is primarily concerned about the Jews throughout his whole ministry. Who comes along and is led to lead the, the Gentiles? Paul. Peter's focused on seeing these Jews come to salvation through Jesus Christ. The gospel was preached to them first. And soon it would reach all the peoples of the earth. Peter and John, buddies. Buddies, they did ministry together. If there's anything that I can encourage you about today is this. Jesus is absolutely the Messiah. He sent His Holy Spirit to come reside inside of you. And today you get to live your life according to the source of another person besides yourself. If you can figure that little piece out right there, if you can set yourself aside, God, you do this. I need you to do this. I've tried to do this. It didn't work out so well for me. Will you do this for me? Absolutely, He will. Father, I pray that your word throughout this next week just comes alive for us. Those that are sitting in this room right now, those that are going to camp, even for myself, that as we sit here and read your word, that we can understand it, that it makes sense, and that it does exactly what you did to that lame man. It causes us to stand up, to rejoice, and to go out singing. So, Lord, that's my prayer for my friends right here. I thank you for your word and the journey through this book of Acts. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.